Well, let me, uh, let me pray for us and ask that God would help us to understand what's already been presented. Uh, we've heard so much. We've seen so much. Uh, let's ask that God would help us now as we turn our attention to his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for the reminder of that divine night. Thank you for the words you spoke through Isaiah, the things you spoke to Zechariah, the encouragement you gave to Elizabeth and to Mary. Heavenly Father, we pray right now in this place in Oran Park tonight that you might be at work taking this ancient word and helping it to live in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I like a good story. Does anyone here like a good story? Like a good story? A quiet show of hands because, you know, we can't be too demonstrative. Yeah, a little quiet. Like a good story? Great. Okay. I like good stories. And, um, and this one is particularly uh, special to me. Uh, this is called The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. Has anyone read this? Oh, okay, great. I'm in, I'm in good company. This is a great book. And the reason I love this so much, uh, this is the actual book that um, my mum used to use to read to us as we were having dinner each night. So every night uh, we would sit down at the dinner table and my mum would read to us as kids. Absolutely beautiful. And so this is the book uh, that she read. And uh, look, I love it. I absolutely love uh, Narnia. But um, I want to let you in on a little secret. Okay, don't tell anyone. But Narnia isn't real. I know, I know, crazy stuff is happening in church tonight. It, check as many cupboards as you want. Uh, Narnia isn't on the other side, okay? And I haven't, not to say I haven't wished that, but it's not true. It's, uh, it's made up. And tonight, I, I want to introduce you to uh, the story in another book. It, it's a story, but it's profoundly different to Narnia. I want to challenge you tonight to consider again the story in this book, the story of Jesus. And I want you to see that it's something different than my beloved book here. So what makes this story so special? Well, we've heard part of that already tonight. It's a story that contains promises that are a thousand years old. It contains supernatural agents that shepherds meet, even ones called Henry. It's got the foundations for Western civilization in it. And apart from anything else, right at the heart of it, it has God. So it's a different kind of story. How do we make sense of it? Well, I want to suggest to you tonight that you and I, that we generally have a little bit of a problem. But don't worry, uh, I've diagnosed it for us, okay? So here's, uh, here's the diagnosis. Uh, it's a very technical diagnosis. Uh, I call it SGS. Uh, you're suffering from it, I'm suffering from it. Tonight, we are suffering from SGS. And uh, this terrible disease has a number of, different, um, number of different symptoms, and we're gonna work through them tonight so you'll be able to understand. See, the problem is we have the wrong God when we approach this story. We have the wrong God. Let, let me explain uh, with, uh, with the first one. Now, first of all, uh, does anyone know who this green bloke is? Yes. Hulk. Excellent. I don't think he needs any more introduction than that. He's big, he's strong, and he's mighty. And um, he's just done something. Does anyone know what he has just done here? Oh, my goodness. Go again. He broke the floor and killed the person. He didn't quite kill the person. Does anyone know who the person is? We're really, we're really mining. These guys seem to know. Does anyone else in the building know? 
Loki, thank you, absolutely. Loki is one of the characters in this movie. And what's distinctive about Loki is Loki's just turned up. He's, uh, he's a god. And he says, hello, dull creature. Understand that I am a god. And then Hulk has just picked him up and gone, and then he says, he says the most incredible line, I think, in this whole movie. He says, puny god. Fantastic, I absolutely, I absolutely love it, right? So here's Loki in all of his power, Hulk smashes him up and his answer is puny God. Our first, our first diagnosis of what our problem is here tonight, SGS stands for small God syndrome. Puny God syndrome doesn't kind of, small God syndrome, okay? Small God syndrome, we have a problem because the God that we consider when we come to church, when we come to these stories is small. And you know what, that's not right. That's not how he's presented in here. You see, this, this book, it starts with one of the most compelling, most famous stories in all of literature. Does anyone know how it begins? What, what's the opening line? In the beginning. It's not a bad way to begin, is it? In the beginning. In the beginning what? Does anyone know it? In the beginning, God God created, absolutely. In the beginning, God created. And it says something about the power of God next because it says, and God said, let there be, and everyone, all dads standing next to a particular switch in the house have done this, haven't they? And God said, let there be, and there was light. It came to be. Something extraordinary happened. God, God didn't dive into the Lego bin and say, now, uh, instructions for making a universe. I've got some bits here. I'm gonna. That wasn't how it happened. God spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. The incredible power of our God enabled things that were not to be purely through the spoken word. Something majestic and extraordinary was happening. God spoke, and through the, wording, uh, the reading that uh, Graham brought us a little earlier, we heard something about the one who was with God in the beginning. It says, through him all things were made. That person was Jesus. With God the Father, God the Son was with him, and through him, we're told, all things were made. That's a pretty big claim. Everything was made through God. That is not a small God at that point. And you know, it's when we have the hugeness of God in mind that this text that will be so familiar to us, we see it anew. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, for some of us tonight, we might be thinking, wow, how could you get a star to come up at just the right time for the birth of the Son of God? How, how could that happen? That's a pretty amazing coincidence. Unless the diagnosis is we've got a small God, in which case we need to rethink this. The God who made all the stars made a light to shine at the birth of his Son. Is that a biggie? It's no problem at all, is it? The God who created the universe causes a star to shine at the birth of his son. His story is written in the sky, is written in the stars. And so if small God syndrome is your problem tonight, I think what will happen is you won't feel like worshipping God. 
See, what, what's worship? It's, it's not just singing. It's actually turning the best of us to God and putting it at his disposal. It's offering our lives to him. And if I've got a small God, a puny God if you want, there's no way in the world I'm pouring my adult busy life out for God. If I've got too small a God, I'll have no desire whatsoever to worship him. And so tonight I want to suggest a practical way to address small God syndrome. Has anyone been under the stars recently? And I don't mean just walking around the block here where there's so many lights that you can't see the stars anymore. Has, has anyone been out bush somewhere and looked up at the stars recently? Alice, I know you have. She's living in Alice Springs. So that's not a bad place to go if you want to get away from the lights. Here's the thing. When you can actually see them, when you can actually see them, when you can see the spread of the Milky Way, what's the, what happens to us? How do you feel? Do you feel big and important? Of course not. When we stand under the stars, we find our size and we magnify the size and majesty of our God. And so all I want to encourage you tonight as the first point of application is if you've got this disease, can I encourage you? Get out. Have a walk under the stars and remember your size and be refreshed in how awesome and majestic our God is. Practical application number one, go have a look at the stars. You know, there's an equal and opposite problem to small God syndrome. So small God syndrome, not very interesting. The other end of the thing is to have another problem, which is, uh, which is this bloke here. You can have a superhero God syndrome. Okay. Now, what do we know about Superman? My dad used to have this wonderful voice that he would put on. Uh, obviously, he watched too many cartoons or something. But he, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Does anyone know this? Steaming locomotives, etc. Truth, justice, the American way, something like that. Probably fallen out of fashion these days, I suspect. But here's the thing. Superman is supposed to be extraordinary, right? He's bulletproof. He's got laser eyes. He's got x-ray vision. He really doesn't need to sleep because he is an alien. Where's he come from? Some people are doing well with the uh, superhero illusions here. He's come from Krypton. Okay, very good. And so he's actually an alien. He's not really a human. Now, some of us can think of Jesus like the kind of intervening alien, okay? He's bulletproof, he's powerful, he's awesome. But if you're like that, you don't really get us. The Bible tells us something quite remarkable about the arrival of Jesus. And we saw in the wonderful play, we saw uh, the angel heckling Jesus to get his stuff together before arriving. But, but here's the thing. Jesus didn't arrive bedazzled, covered in jewels. He did something far more extraordinary. The word, the Bible tells us, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Now you might think, well, that's not very amazing. How did Superman arrive? We're really digging the depths of your, you know. How did Superman arrive on earth? Sorry? In a rocket egg thing that kind of fell out of the sky. Now, if I'm going to make an entrance as God, I might as well have a spaceship. That's pretty good, isn't it? How did Jesus, the Son of God, enter the world? Through a birth canal. I assume it was a bit of a beautiful mess. Is that right, Caro? Caro's a midwife. 
It's a beautiful mess, isn't it? I was going to say it's a bloody mess, but no, 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 strike that. A beautiful mess, right? Something gorgeous. I remember birth of my children. Um, It's incredibly vulnerable. It's incredibly intimate. It's incredibly... It's not written on billboards, is it? It's something profoundly ordinary. All of us have had this experience. The Son of God came into the world in ordinary circumstances. And so we see this little part of the story here. He went to register. Joseph went to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. See, here's the truly extraordinary thing. Jesus came into the world and he was born of Mary. It's not that amazing. It's not the superhero entrance that we'd like. He was so vulnerable as a baby that Herod, who was the king of that time, hunted him down to try and kill him. The Son of God didn't come to earth bulletproof. He came wrapped in flesh like you and I. And if he had been found on those early nights, he would have been killed. But here's the more amazing thing. He had such flesh, he wasn't born fully formed. You know, beam down, ready to go. Hi, everyone. I'm the son of God. Let me die on the cross. I'm out of here. Wasn't like that. He was born a baby, unable to speak. I assume it wasn't a silent night, whatever the carols say, when Jesus was born. I assume the baby cried. I assume he sucked at his mother's breast and I assume he pooped his swaddling clothes. Now, why do I say all that? It was real humanity that he was wrapped in. Real humanity. Not fake, not make-believe, not an alien amongst us, but a real human. See, if we have a superhero God syndrome, we have a God who is not able to understand our weakness. See, what do I say to Superman? I tripped over and it hurt. And he's like, no biggie. When I have a God who is like me, wrapped in flesh, then he will get me. And so my encouragement to you is if you've got superhero God syndrome, then your practical application tonight is to go and hold the hand, foot, something tiny of a newborn and look at how vulnerable it is. Think that the son of God wrapped himself in flesh and became vulnerable enough to be one of us. Incidentally, I did this this morning. It was really great. I walked up to the little baby, with mother's permission, don't worry, that's okay. I just held a little toe and I went, how extraordinary that God came in flesh so vulnerably. There's a God that I want to honour. You know, there's another SGS that we could have. Does anyone know who this is? Morgan Freeman, who is God. You could probably just say God. He's God in everything, isn't he? I think even when he's Morgan Freeman in other things, he's really playing God. So here's Morgan Freeman. He's in Bruce Almighty. Have you guys seen that? In Bruce Almighty. Now, the interesting thing about Bruce Almighty, there's lots of things that are interesting about Bruce Almighty, but, but here's the thing. This God isn't really in Bruce's life at all. It takes Bruce kind of getting really upset and then eventually perhaps maybe then God has to book an appointment with him to kind of hang out. And so I wonder if some of us don't have a standoff God syndrome. A God who isn't actually relevant or interested or involved in our lives at all. 
He's the God who you might call to when everything's got off the rails. That sort of God. A God who is far away from me. But the Bible tells us something else. It tells us something incredible. It tells us that Jesus, when he was born, was born into an ordinary family. It tells us that he had brothers and sisters. In fact, later on in the story, we're told that Jesus goes back to his hometown. And do you know what they say to him? They don't fall on their knees and worship Jesus. They say, hey, isn't that Joseph and Mary's son? Don't his brothers and sisters live here with us? Isn't he the, does anyone know? Isn't he the carpenter? When Jesus went back to his hometown, people called him the carpenter. They didn't fall down and go, oh. None of that happened. Why? Well, the Bible's account of Jesus' early growing up stops when he's about 12 in the temple. Do you remember that scene? He's with them in the temple. And after that, we have nothing from there till when Jesus turns up and starts teaching. So from about 12 until he's around 30, we have absolutely nothing in the Bible at all. And and all of us go, what happened there? I want to tell you, this is such a great part of the story. For those 17 odd years, Jesus did a trade. He worked with his dad. He made tables. I assume he built chairs. And then for variety, he made chairs and tables. I don't know what else he made. He was a carpenter in the first century. I don't think they were, you know, making too many interesting things. But, but here's the thing. What that meant is that Jesus was on the tools for 17 years. And you could say, why? But I think there's something profoundly awesome in that. You see, some of us work. And some of us go to school, and some of us have been doing those things for a long time. And when you're having a good day, it's great, isn't it? But some of us have bad days as well, don't we? And you could say to God, God, work sucks today. And God, who's been up there running the universe, will go, oh, whatever. But if Jesus, you see, if Jesus has worked the tools for 17 years, guess what he gets? He gets monotony. He gets drudgery, he gets obedience, he gets hard work, he gets you in your life. He was in a real family, he had brothers and sisters. Yes, that means his mum wasn't a virgin forever. But he gets our life, he really gets us. And the one who used carpenter's tools submitted to nails in his flesh. You see, Jesus ended up on the cross. It's what he came to do. He came to die. And on the cross, the people who couldn't see past his humanity mocked him. It says in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him, saying amongst themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. You see, the thing was, Jesus is so wrapped in flesh, he's so like us, that even as the Son of God is dying on the cross for our sins, people are mocking him for his very ordinariness. See, if he has real flesh and blood, then he can really die for us and for our sins. The wonder of the incarnation, God being made flesh, is that he could die for us and in our place and on our behalf. 
And so if you have a standoff God, a standoff God would not care for your worries. But we don't have a God like that. We have a God who came and involved himself in the, in the everyday, dusty, sweaty ordinariness of life. Now, uh, how many of you remember the Sydney Olympics? Some of you weren't born when that happened, I guess. Is that right? And you can't remember it. Okay, all right. But for those of you who can, did you go along? Did you have a great time? Can you remember the events you watched? We went to watch uh, a walker who was supposed to win gold, and they were in the lead, coming into the stadium, and they got shown their third paddle just before they entered the stadium, and they were disqualified. Nothing happened. But I remember it. Do you know how long ago it was? Someone's going to call it out. How long ago was it? 17 years ago. Now, that might line up with something I was saying just before, mightn't it? Hey, wonderful. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Think about it to how long ago that was. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Here's the point I want you to get. Anytime you're convinced that God couldn't understand you, I want you to think about Jesus and that length of time waiting 17 years before he began to teach us the things that God wanted us to know. God gets us. There's a fourth and final one I want to tell you with the uh, SGS. And I think I've said it to you before, but I, I was in India uh, for a mate's wedding. It was great. Had a ball. And I'm sitting there in the, ta- in the taxi with Mr. Singh. We hired a guy to drive us around uh, India, which is fantastic. And Mr. Singh had on his dashboard uh, Ganesh. This isn't a photo of Mr. Singh's dashboard. This is a rep- representative one we prepared earlier. But okay, so here's, here's his dashboard. And as I look at Ganesh on there, right, I'm thinking, great way to hold some flowers, lovely, interesting statues. But here's what I'm really thinking deep down inside me. This is somebody else's God. And some of you have come tonight and somebody very lovely brought you along. And you're thinking, Jesus, he's somebody else's God. We're here for somebody else's God. You've come tonight with somebody else's God syndrome happening. And that's okay, that's real. And I want to persuade you that maybe that's worth changing. Uh, Does anyone know what this is? This is worth doing, incidentally. Does anyone know what this is? Wheel balancer. Fantastic. That was very quick out of the gate. This morning, there was a lot more struggling, Uh, but... Okay, wheel balancing. Why do we need to balance our wheels? Anyone know? Go on, tell me. Fantastic. Here's the thing. You can't keep your direction straight. Everything inside feels a little bit funky when your wheels aren't balanced. When everything isn't turning on this axle exactly perfectly, something is not right. You have a sense that something's not right, that going in a straight direction isn't as easy as it could be, that everything is jostling around a little bit inside. And I want to suggest to you tonight that when we don't have Jesus at the absolute center, that is what is happening to our lives. And so you might say, that's okay. And I want to ask you, where do you place Jesus? I want to suggest you anywhere out of center will be a problem, but you can place him in different places. Where do you place Jesus? There's different places to put Jesus. I want to give you an option. This is uh, Japan. 
And uh, I only found about this this week. In 1974, a guy called Okawara was running a KFC shop in Japan. Who knew in 1974 there were KFC shops in Japan, but there are, apparently. Now, he overheard some expats talking about the fact that they weren't going to get any chick, uh, chick, uh, chicken, sorry, turkey for Christmas. No turkey for Christmas. What a problem. And what, they, what he heard them say was, it's all right, we'll sub the turkey out and we'll go and have KFC instead. All right goes to sleep, has a dream, dead set, this is what I'm reading, has a dream, dreams party bucket. Wakes up in the morning and says, I know what I'm going to do. We're going to turn this into a promotion for KFC in Japan. We are going to make the party bucket of Christmas chicken. Now, I kid you not, this is legit. Uh, There is only 1% of Christians in Japan, but this is now a massive thing. Whether Jesus existed or not is kind of irrelevant. What they've latched onto is KFC at Christmas is the gear. Dead set. And so this is like 10 times the uh, regular day's sales on this day. You have to book your chicken at KFC in advance in Japan if you want it. Now, what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, Japanese people don't believe in Jesus. There's only 1% of Christians there. So Jesus is an historical oddity. It doesn't matter whether he's real or not. We're just here for the tradition. Pass me my chicken, please. Tonight, you might be here thinking, Jesus is an historical oddity, and good luck with your chicken. Some of you might be thinking, ah, no, Jesus isn't just an historical oddity. He's actually something else entirely. Uh, Does anyone know who this bloke up here is? (laughs) It's Santa. Do you, do, you, do you know this vision of Santa? It wasn't invented by this guy. This guy is a, it's a painting of Santa by a guy called Haddon Sundblom. And he started painting Santa in 1931. He was a commissioned artist. Do you know who commissioned this great work? Coca-Cola is correct. And from this year, 1931, for the next 33 years, every year, Haddon painted Santa Claus for Coca-Cola. And they promoted the heck out of it because when it's really cold in the Northern Hemisphere, who wants to have a Coke? But you're having a Coke for Santa, so it's all good. Now, here's the thing. I'll let you in a little bit of a secret. Santa isn't. Santa isn't actually. He's not, well, anyway, you get the point, don't you? you, He's, but, uh, but you might be thinking, Jesus is like Santa, yeah? You, you came tonight and you're not convinced. You might, you might be thinking, I, Jesus is an, an historical oddity. He's an historical fallacy. And tonight, I want you to think again about Jesus. And I want to show you this amazing thing. This is called the Pilot Stone. It was found in 1961 in a place called Caesarea Maritama in Israel. And you go, wow, great. It's a big stone and it's got a name on it. It says Pontius Pilate on it. And you go, that doesn't really matter. And I'd say to you, that's fine. But here's the thing. Until it was discovered in 1961, the only record of Pontius Pilate was in the Bible. And Pontius Pilate was the man who oversaw the death of Jesus. And a whole bunch of people thought that it was a made-up detail and that it never happened until a physical stone turned up in Caesarea Maritama that said Pontius Pilate existed. You see, Jesus is, in fact, an historical certainty. And we need to think about the place that he has in our lives. You see, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, this incredible baby, was born to die and bring us back to God. In fact, all history is the account of God's love for you and for me. 
So if you've got someone else's God syndrome, it means you've never really bothered to think about him too much. And tonight, I want to encourage you to think about Jesus more, to examine him. Now, up the back, I've got this thing called the Essential Jesus. It's the account of Jesus' life written by Mark. It's totally free of charge. It's at the back table there. You can take this. It'll take you about 45 minutes to read. There's my gift to you. I didn't wrap it. I'm sorry. Take one. doesn't cost anything. You've got nothing to lose. Check out Jesus. And if that sounds uh, like it's a bit too hard, or if that sparks some questions for you, I want to encourage you to come and do a a thing with us. In February, we're running a course I call Jesus for the Curious. And it's an opportunity for you to bring your skepticism, your questions, and your challenges. Sit down with me, read the Bible, and see who Jesus is. Tonight, you might choose to take this. Tonight, you might choose to put on your Care and Connect card, I would like to be reminded in February, because it's a long way away and I've got holidays, remind me to invite me to, uh, to Jesus for the Curious. That'd be great. See, I want to tell you tonight, my Jesus, the one I'm talking about, is worthy of worship. I want to encourage you that my Jesus is vulnerable. He was wrapped in actual human flesh. I want to tell you that my Jesus is engaged in the real world. He gets you. He understands what it's like to be you. And I want to tell you, my Jesus wants to be central in your life. Everything's a little bit out of whack until he is. So tonight we started off, and I want to tell you that Christmas is good news. And we said, well, if you've got small God syndrome, then it's entirely possible that uh, you're viewing the Bible like the magician's nephew. But I want to encourage you, it's much more than that. If you put the Bible in the right place, you'll know that SGS stands for the Son of God who saves. And I pray you know that message tonight. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for Jesus. We thank you that he came in all vulnerability, in all humility, wrapped in human flesh to be one of us. We thank you for his patience. We thank you for his power wrapped in the body of a baby. And we thank you, Father, that he grew, that he taught, and that ultimately he died and rose again. Heavenly Father, I pray for those tonight who don't have you at the center, that this might be a great night where they say, yes, Jesus, I'm in. I pray for those of us who do know and love you, that we would shake off our SGSs, whatever they may be, and lift you up as majestic and awesome. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.